they looked really good. It finally hit me that Delaware's not just playing to keep it close. Delaware's here to win. But if they're going to really lock down in a game, this would be the one to do it. Overall, I think this is their identity now. There weren't enough things that you and I could say on the broadcast to praise Eric Carter. I do have to put out a formal apology to Darian Bryant. It's over for the Eagles. When you're only better than the Cleveland Browns, you're not very good. This is going to be the Delaware defense like, through and through. If you lose, you're leaving yourself on the bubble with all of these other teams that I would say are just as good as you are. Losing Nicole, that's a big part of what we did a year ago. It's a process, and we need to really lay a strong foundation of who we are as a basketball program. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage Podcast. Hello and welcome into Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. No Brandon Hallback with us today, so Jake Lampert is going to be behind the board, i.e. me. Brandon's not feeling very well, so in the spirit of keeping not only his personal um, health and safety and his voice in check, because he has a big weekend for Charleston, South Carolina coming up, he's going to take a quick break and he will join us at the 6 o'clock hour talk a bit about CAA basketball and the tournament coming up, but I am not in the cage alone. We always travel in pairs here in Blue Hen Sports Cage, so Parker Kerrigan is going to be taking my spot on the other side, so welcome into the cage, and this is your first Thursday? First Thursday on the cage. So, I am hyped. Let's go. Let's have a good show. How's your day so far? How's everything going? Pretty good. Have a busy day of classes, but I'm ready to Talk some sports and get my mind off that. Yeah, it was when I was talking to you, because my Thursday is my busy day, too. I was telling my advisor, like, I need Thursdays empty. Like, I can't do anything from 5 to 7. And then I get an email about 20 minutes later. He's like, all right, I'll schedule you for 520 on Thursday. And I was like, I don't I don't think you got I that. I think like, you misheard me. I can't, I can't do Thursdays. So then I had to move around my entire schedule. But I had a 445 class that I got out early from. Same. Big Same. move. So we got here on time. Any other news going on in your personal world that I don't know about? Any fun stuff? Uh, not much, man. Uh, just staying busy with class and playing Ultimate Frisbee. And Yeah, we got a tournament next weekend. We have a tournament. Parker's on the A team. He's a bit more alpha than I am. So Parker's on the A team. I'm on the B team. Uh, so you have a tournament this week- weekend? No, 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 we don't. Next weekend. So weekend of St. Patrick's Day, unfortunately. Mm. Unfortunately, and unfortunately, unfortunately. Well, yeah, y- you know. So let's get Person right. Let's, right get, let's get right to the sports action because this is my favorite time of the year. We have NBA basketball pretty much in full swing, getting down to the wire. MLB spring training is underway. Jacob Degrom had another good outing, and I'm glad I could talk about the Mets now because mm-hmm. when Brandon's here, and rightfully so, I mean we're in Delaware, we're close to Philly. We should talk Philly sports, but it's always nice to talk about the Mets too. Uh, College basketball tournament is about two weeks away. Selection Sunday is not this upcoming Sunday, but the Sunday after that. The CAA men's basketball tournament is this weekend, and it will start on Sunday. Brandon and Nick DeLaglio are headed down there, and I'll be here producing for those games starting uh, Sunday, and then we'll look ahead. They need to win Sunday, but we'll look ahead from that. Let's start with the men's team. Lost six of their last eight games. Dropped both of their last weekend games to Northeastern and the leader of the CIA, Hofstra. Six, lost six out of their last eight. Season's over. The bleeding's done. What is your big takeaway before we get 
eat deep and get into the nitty-gritty of the men's basketball season, what's your big takeaway from the Blue Hens men's basketball team? It's a common narrative for people to say that you want to get hot, get going when it comes into a tournament, your postseason. Clearly, uh, that opportunity passed by the Delaware men's basketball team. Um, However, this team is still quite a solid squad, and I would not put it past them to make some noise in the tournament. Um, Overall, kind of a disappointing uh, year, I'd say. Um, Say this is the best opportunity for a good season they've had, definitely since I've been here. I'm a senior, by the way, just for context there. Uh, This roster was probably our strongest we've had while... Uh, I have been here, and then next year we will be without big man Eric Carter. Um, So I was really hopeful that this year would be kind of the year. Um, But, hey, you still got the conference tournament. Uh, We'll see what happens. They draw William and Mary uh, in the first round. Or I guess not. I guess the second round. But Delaware's first game, I mean. Delaware will finish the best since 2015. So they are going to skip the quote-unquote play-in round. They beat, they won their playing game last year, and they fell in the tournament to Northeastern. They beat Elon in that initial playing game. Let's talk about, you talk about losing big man Eric Carter for senior day. It was a weird-ish senior day. Last year's senior day, we saw a bunch of people leave. Probably the biggest one is Anthony Mosley. This felt a little different. Losing Eric Carter kind of like it should have been, felt like we lost a big piece of ourselves. Talk about Eric Carter, not in the sense of we talked about what he did on the court. What is the off-the-court impact that Eric Carter had on this team? He was clearly the leader of the team on and off the court. Uh, it didn't really matter who you talked to, whether it was the players or what, it, or whether it was Coach Inglesby, they would tell you that uh, Eric Carter was their heart and so, I mean, you you could tell when me and you were calling games this season and we were watching the on-court product, whether it's offense or defense, Eric Carter ran the show. He was always communicating, always coaching up the younger guys. Um, just a huge, it's going to be a huge uh, hole to fill next year. Not only did we lose Eric Carter, but three other seniors got honored on senior day. Curtis Lochner, Ryan Johnson, and Darian Bryant were the other three alongside Carter. None of them really stick out besides Darian Bryant as these big hit players. Bryant's a starter for the team, one of their most important wing players and wing defenders. Ryan Johnson getting 10 to 12 minutes off the bench. Sometimes he got the starting role in place of Ithiel Horton and got a lot of defensive reps. Curtis Lochner never really found his footing on the men's basketball team, usually a late-game garbage-time player. Let's talk about Darian Bryant for a second. I put out my formal apology on the intro to Darian Bryant. I gave him a lot of slack. I really wasn't high on him, especially the stretches of last season. And he proved me wrong. He really showed this year that he was an important part of this Blue Hen men's basketball team. Darian Bryant's takeaway, Darian Bryant's big picture, when he can look back on his time here at Delaware, is what? I mean, I think he contributes in all aspects of the game. Um, I remember in one post-game interview, we 
uh, like asked him what went right in the game. There was a there's a spurt where I think he scored about six straight points in one particular game to uh, give Delaware the lead for good. But I remember him um, emphasizing the non-scoring things that he did, getting rebounds, hustling for loose balls, things like that. It uh, stuck out to me that um, he was just aware of how much he could impact the game, scoring or otherwise. So I definitely think he'll he should look back on his career as a successful one. Rather than apologizing to Darian Bryant again, I really hope he shows up for the CAA tournament because you have Eric Carter, you have Ryan Allen, but I personally think that behind Eric Carter as the most important blue hen, it's Darian Bryant at two because he is going to draw whether it's Grant Riller on Charleston, Justin Wright Foreman on Hofstra, he's going to get the big-name player on defense. The big men, there's really no strong big men. Maybe Alex Thomas of Towson. There's always Devontae Kaycock of UNCW. But Darian Bryant's going to get the big matchup. But these seniors are not done for the year. They still have CAA tournament action. It could be one game. It could be two games. Or it could be more if they make it to the big dance. But let's talk about some other players the first being Kevin Anderson, his return to the team after off-the-court issues. Kevin Tresselini reported that it was an academic issue off the court. He came back 34 minutes off the bench, the normal minutes, but he didn't end up getting the start. And he finished with seven points and six assists. What is your big thing with Kevin Anderson? I mean, he's back. We obviously are going to need him. But do you see him taking a starting role kind of back into his own self, or do you think Ryan Johnson or Ethel Horton fills in? I'll start by saying I don't think it's a mistake, or I don't think it's a coincidence that their six out of eight game losing streak happened while um, Kevin Anderson was off the court. Right. Um, he's obviously not the star of the team, but when you're providing at 30 plus minutes a game and quality minutes at that, that impacts the roster all the way through. Because then you're losing all those minutes. You have to fill those gaps with either playing your your top players longer and getting them tired or playing your slightly weaker players a bit more. So um, it was a tough time to lose him in the, in the back end of the conference schedule. But... Um, as far as him coming back, I would guess he would reclaim his starting role. Um, that's, I think, where they've where Coach Inglesby had the most success in his rosters in having Anderson start and having uh, like Ryan Johnson come off the bench. Um, I would say, looking at a starting lineup of say Carter Allen. Ethel Horton, Kevin Anderson, and Darian Bryant would be a pretty safe bet? I don't, I'm actually going to disagree with that. I think okay. Kevin Anderson should not get a starting nod here. I don't know, and nobody truly knows besides him and probably the team, what these off-the-court issues were. If they were easily controlled and easily preventable... That has to show on Kevin Anderson's character. And again, we do not know these issues. We do not truly know what they are. At least last time I looked for them, there was no definitive reason why Kevin Anderson was out. 
but this is a prime example of coaching will be needing to probably put out a weaker roster to keep team chemistry up, uh, to keep Ryan Johnson in the starting lineup, to keep Ethel Horton in that starting role. Because we, you and I both know Kevin Anderson's going to play 34 minutes pretty much regardless of where he plays if he's the seventh man off the bench or the fir- or starting lineup guy. So just keep the camaraderie of the starters, see if they can get something going, and if not, I think it's Kevin Anderson's time to shine. But another player that we have to talk about is Ryan Allen, the hero and villain of Delaware CAA tournament last year. He pretty much won them the first round and lost them the second. He didn't start on Saturday. He made two baskets late in garbage time. There was no reason for Ryan Allen to be on the bench. I was talking to Brandon before this, and Brandon basically said, why was he there? There's no reason for him to be there. There's no viable reason to rest him because they have more than enough rest. The team does fine with him on the court. What do you think kind of contributed to Ryan Allen not starting, getting late minutes, and only getting two baskets? Um. Well, I think him not starting is just because it was well senior it, night. It, it was senior night, yeah, it, but he, night. So he give... stayed out a little bit longer than you would expect. He, he's a forty. Yeah, he's, no, no, he's a forty-minute yeah, player. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he played twenty-nine minutes. Right. Um, honestly, I think the biggest thing you could say, and maybe this is a reach, but I'm maybe this shows you that Ryan Allen kind of needs to be in the starting lineup to like get in a rhythm, and like that affects his mojo. Yep. I don't know because like obviously coming off the bench, he did not have his best game. He. Only shot two for seven, uh, one for six from three. Maybe that's just him not being in his groove because he wasn't uh, like call in the starting lineup. It like threw off his routine. That's the biggest thing I could think of. I don't think there's much to worry about here. Um, but come tournament time, all it takes is one bad game for you to be out. So hopefully he got his bad game out of his system now is what I would say. Yeah, I think you put that well. Ryan Allen playing 29 minutes is borderline unacceptable. He's your best <laughs> scorer, so you have to play your best scorer whenever you can. But I think him just not being in the starting lineup truly does affect how you play. If you're used to getting action early, it can uh, throw off the mojo like you put it. You won't be on with us when we talk the CAA tournament from top to bottom at around 6 o'clock. You have another class coming up. So I will ask you, I'll I'll save mine until we talk about it at 6. Your best case scenario for the Blue Hens in the CAA tournament, and what is the best, or what is your definition of success for the Blue Hens? What would have to happen for you to feel the team was successful, and what is their best case scenario? I'll start with best case. Obviously, best case would be winning the conference well, tournament well, and getting into the NBA tournament. Your I, realistic best case scenario for the Blue Hens. It could, it could still I, be winning would, the CAA I mean, tournament. The odds are low, yes. However, like I've said this before, and I stick with it. I think the NCAA college bas- basketball postseason is the most exciting, best postseason of any sport because you have so many shocks and so much excitement every year conference tournaments and then the big dance ncaa tournament so for delaware to go in as the five seed and shock this conference and win it would be a huge upset however in the grand scheme of the just ncaa postseason wouldn't bat in march it's it's march that's why 
I'm giddy just talking about it. You can probably see how giddy I'm getting right now, just because it's so exciting. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's within the realm of possibility. However, like Ryan Allen, Eric, honestly, the whole roster has to just play amazing. For you need Jacob Cushing to shoot five games. for five from yeah, three. Yeah, you need, you need, yeah, like Cushing, Veretto, Colin Goss, however many minutes they get, probably won't be many, but you need them to play their best five minutes if they get in, ten minutes for a guy like Veretto. But just everyone has to elevate their game, but as other teams will too. To get back to your question, I think I think it'll be successful if we need to get past the first round, beat William and Mary, who um, edged us out just slightly toward the end of conference play to get the four seed while Delaware got the five seed, need to beat them, and then presumably we would face Hofstra in the semifinals. We need to keep that game close. We just lost to them, what, 22, I believe? 92 to 70. Yep, yep, 22. We need to keep that a single-point game, and I stay in it, and I would consider that successful. So beat William & Mary, keep yeah. it close for Hofstra for success. Yes. Best-case scenario, because it's March, is take home the CAA trophy. If they get past Hofstra, in the finals, you're looking at a Northeastern or Charleston, probably. I'd say the biggest obstacle is Hofstra, who got the one seed, yeah. so that stands to reason. But. If they get past Hofstra because of Delaware's success, I think Delaware will be the best remaining team. But if they get past Hofstra because Justin Wright Foreman shoots 0 for 30 from the field, well, that'll be a totally different conversation. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Three in the cage here. Doug Barron and Brandon Holvac now to join us for your most in-depth look at the CAA men's basketball tournament. We have searched the land for the best CAA sports documents since uh, this morning. I have read 50,000 documents and everything there is to know about the CAA. But first, Brandon and Doug, welcome. First of all, Brandon, you. how you feeling? I'm okay. I'm on a minute's restriction today. Yeah, we got Big a... Big weekend coming up, so... A little bit under the weather. I want to make sure we're good to go for Charleston. Doug, welcome. Thank you for having me. And you're going to finish the whole hour with us. Brandon is going to give us his CAA, and then he is going to head off, so Doug and I will finish the show. I was thinking we go 1 down to 10 for it. the CAA, and then after we've done this, kind of talk through Delaware's possible routes to the mm -hmm. CAA championship. Let's start with Hofstra. Justin Wright Foreman, a player who has just been nominated for the Jerry West Award. This is no slouch of an award. These have This has gone to D'Angelo Russell a few years ago. Current people with him, R.J. Barrett, Justin Wright Foreman, Carson Edwards from Purdue, Jarrett Culver from Texas Tech, and Kyle Guy for Virginia. Uh, Malik Monk won this. Buddy Heald won this. Hearing that Justin Wright Foreman is nominated for the Jerry West Award... That's huge for the CAA. And let's look at Hofstra. Their scouting report, they can shoot from half court, they can shoot from three-fourths of the court, and you still need to stick a man on them. Brandon, we'll go to you for the offense. Why is this team so successful, rather than just saying Justin Wright Foreman? Right, it, it obviously starts with Justin Wright Foreman, but definitely want to make the point that it's not a one-man show. Uh, on Saturday's game, Hofstra, final game of the season, Delaware put a lot of attention to Justin Wright Foreman. He hit contested shots, he broke through double teams off the dribble, but he also found open guys in Eli Pemberton and Dejour Bowie, 
both of which 10-plus point-per-game scores. Pemberton, in particular, another really good shooter. This whole team can shoot. There's a reason why they averaged eight points per game more than any other team in the CIA, and as a unit, shooting just below 40% from three. Both of those marks, best in the CIA. So it, it starts with Wright Foreman and the attention that he draws from opposing defenses that opens things up for the other players, but all around, a very good shooting team, and that's the identity that they carry into Charleston. Doug, we'll go to you on the other side of the ball here. Defensively for Hofstra, they are okay. They're Mm -hmm. right in the middle of the pack for CAA defense. They rank fifth, averaging 72.5 points per game on the defensive end. Is there anything noteworthy about the Hofstra defense? Probably not because they're rated fifth, but does anything stick out for you, things that they're good at, maybe things that they're not good at? Um, Not anything huge. um, One of the things, I guess, is that they get points off turnovers in bunches against their opponents. They're probably winning that margin uh, by 7.1 points. Uh, they get 17.2 points per turnovers on average uh, per game. So, I mean, you're already looking at a team that is good offensively, and then if you give them, like, more opportunities, they're going to kill you on it. Yes, I mean, 17 points off turnovers is the best turnover margin in the CIA. I mean, it's them, Charleston, and Northeastern. When I look at Hofstra, my biggest comparison is that they're the Kansas City Chiefs of CIA basketball where no matter how good or bad that defense is, you know that Justin Wright Foreman is going to erase pretty much any margin that you have coming into that game. The man is a scorer. He is ranked by Jay Billis as one of the top 25 players in basketball. This is not the CAA. This is not the East Coast. This is basketball as a whole. He's averaging 26.8 points per game. The next closest, Grant Riller with 21.9. It's safe to say that this team is going to win or lose by Justin Wright Foreman, but is there anything that if I am any opposing team playing them, I think I can do to stop them? Is there a weakness? Is there at least a weak point in the Hofstra team? I think the best chance you have is having a different strength against them. So if you're William and Mary, I think your best chance is Nathan Knight taking advantage of The two probably weakest points in Hofstra's lineup, the four and the five. Um, You're not going to really outshoot this team on most nights. Maybe if you're Northeastern, Vasa Bushicha is probably the second best player in the league. Maybe he's the only guy who could go toe-to-toe in a single game with Justin Wright Foreman. But I think the best bet is to go inside against these guys. And again, it's not that that's going to work, but I think that's your best chance. When Delaware just played Hofstra this past weekend... Eric Carter got double-teamed. He got attention inside. And it didn't work out great for Delaware because they weren't finding that open guy. But if you are William & Mary, let's say, and Nathan Knight, after a couple of buckets, starts getting that double-team, that's going to open things up for other guys, for guys like Matt Millen to hit threes from the perimeter. And I think that inside-out type of game, putting pressure on the inside of Hostra's defense is the way that you try to beat them. Vasa Busicha carved them up a couple times this season. They lost to Northeastern to break that 9-0 and string to start CIA play. He's a different animal, but I think for these other teams, if it's UNCW, if it's William & Mary, any of these teams that have a really strong five, I think that's where the attention needs to be. I mean, that's definitely a great analysis. I couldn't put it any better myself. I mean, if you have that one weakness, you got to exploit it and hopefully kick it back out for threes because counting by twos is going to lose to counting by threes. 
Nine times out of ten. Ten uh, times out ten of ten. Ten times out of ten. <laughs> I, my mathematical degree. <laughs> the way I see it. Can, can confirm that counting unless by you, threes gets unless, you there faster. Unless you miss a lot of threes. But, Fair. Um, but Hofstra doesn't really do that. I mean, the only way, the only other hope is to catch fire, and which Brandon said that doesn't happen a lot. Maybe you can get lucky against them one game and really just catch fire and outshoot them in a shootout. But to do that, you're probably going to have to score close to 100 points. Let's go to number two in the CAA, and this is Northeastern. This is a, a good team led, obviously, by the second, probably the second-best player in the CAA in Fasa Pushitsa. But they still have Donald Gresham. They still have Bryce Bolden. Bryce Bolden was probably the biggest thorn in Delaware's side when they lost to them in last year's CAA tournament. Pushitsa did what? Pretty much anyone would expect him to do, but it was Bryce Bolden who was this strong role player. They are more balanced, I would say, than Hofstra is. I don't think yeah. they are stronger in any necessarily defense or offense. Pushita's fifth in the CAA in points per game with 17.9. Brandon, I went for you on the offensive end, so I'll send it to Doug now. Offensively for Northeastern, what are their strengths and what led them to be the second best team in the CAA? Uh, let's see. Just getting up their stats right now. I mean, they they are pretty good offensively. They score 76 points per game. I mean, uh, so that's no slouch. They and they shoot pretty well um, just from the field. 48.3 percent from the field, about 39 percent from uh, three point land. So I mean, just getting getting the ball outside, finding open shots is definitely a key for them. And really just working it, trying to work it down low. Because, uh, as you said, uh, Vasa Busicla, um is definitely one of the guys who's a, probably the second-best scorer in the CAA. So he can come up big. Um, they work the ball around well. They share the ball. So look for that. And they can, I mean, there's a reason why they're ranked second in the CAA, because they can they can put up the points when they need to, but they're also – more lockdown on defense than Hofstra is. And Northeastern, you mentioned they're a good three-point shooting team. They're a good three-point shooting player. I mean, Jordan Rowland is probably one of the best three-point shooters in the CAA. He ranks third in field goal percentage, fifth in three-point field goals per game. No one else on Hofstra really comes close to that. And how I would compare everyone is using the, the Justin Wright Foreman line. Jordan Rowland has three three-pointers per game. Justin Wright Foreman has about three-and-a-half three-point field goals per game, and Justin Wright Foreman shoots whenever he gets the ball. So if you're around that range and shooting about percentage-wise of Wright Foreman, that's a pretty scary offense. Defensively is where they got us last year, Brandon, in the CAA tournament. Do they have any strengths that necessarily stick out to you? I know they're probably better than Hofstra defensively, but why do we say that? I don't know if there's necessarily anything in particular that they've done against Delaware this season. You think back to that second game of CAA play, Delaware beat them 82-80 in overtime. Of course, that's without Busicha. The second game, more recently, last Thursday, I guess a week from today, Delaware was right with them. It was only, as we were talking about, when the three-point shooting got hot that Delaware fell off their pace. So I don't think there's anything in particular about this defense that wows you. I think like what you said off the top, it's a well-rounded team. So I don't think on the same token that there's a huge weakness with this defense for Delaware to try to exploit. But it is a team that I think you can, if you're 
offense it, itself is is going at a high clip, which Delaware's obviously hasn't been more recently. If you do get to that high level of execution, I think it is a team that can still be scored against. And I forgot I wanted to do this for Hofstra. I wanted to ask if you're tuning in to a CAA game and you see Hofstra on, who is the player to watch? And I'm trying to take out the obvious ones of Justin Wright Foreman. For Hofstra, I would say Eli Pemberton is probably the That's second best one. to him. He's yeah. a good shooter and a good compliment. Uh, for Northeastern, do either of you have a player, maybe not Vasa Pushitsa, that I was going to say, I mean, Pustucha is a guy definitely to watch. Um, I was going to say Brace Bolden. Yeah, I mean, he he is a 6'6 guard that has this Ryan Daly mentality that wherever the ball is, I'm there. He's leading the team in rebounds per game with about five and a half, maybe six if you round up. Yeah. He's a good rebounding player and always follows the ball. So if you're tuning into Northeastern and you need somebody to watch, I would put Pushitsa at one and then Brace Bolden at, Bold, Brace, yeah, sorry, like at two. Call. We're going to go to the next team in the CAA, and this is number three, the reigning champion and host of the CAA tournament, Charleston. They are a good team. They are probably the best well-rounded team, in my opinion, in the CAA. And when you look at the experts, quote-unquote, of the CAA. At this point, not when people watch the CAA, so they usually do it off the last two games and read the stat sheets. None of them had Hofstra. I saw read seven experts. Four of them had Charleston. Three of them had Northeastern. No one else had... Well, obviously that was all seven. But what about Charleston, Brandon, on the offensive end warrants this kind of hope for another championship? They have two of the best five or ten players in this league. So when you get to tournament play, when you have to just play 120 minutes, three straight games, and the rotation shortened, that is a huge advantage to be able to have a 1A and a 1B option. When we talk about Hofstra and Northeastern, the two teams ahead of them, as we've noted, it's Justin Wright-Foreman, it's Vasa Busicha. They have contributors elsewhere, but as far as the guy who's going to create offense and be the centerpiece, each team has one clear-cut option. With Charleston, it's Jarrell Brantley inside and Grant Riller on the perimeter. They missed Joe Chile. They missed that third option. So that's part of the reason why this team took a step back this season compared to last. But when you go to tournament play, you only need to play six or seven guys. You don't have to be as deep as you have to be in the regular season to accrue 14-15 CAA wins. So with those two guys, if they're on at the same time, this team is very difficult to beat. When you look at the offense, Delaware's leading point scorer, Eric Carter, has 16 points. The next closest is Ithiel Horton with 12.5. If you look at Hofstra, Justin Wright, Foreman, and Eli Pemberton are separated by 10 points per game. If you look at Charleston, Grant Riller and Jarrell Brantley are separated by 2.2 points per game. Riller is second in the CAA. Jarrell Brantley is fourth. And then that drop-off, though, there is a, from there Brantley is a to option number three. There is a huge drop-off, but I think, Brandon, you put it well. If you have two players, that's all you can ask for in CAA tournament yeah, They're going to play 38 minutes or more. No doubt about in it. In every game. And Doug, oh yeah, go for sorry. it. Sorry. No, uh, sorry for jumping in. But even that third option, uh, Brevin Galloway, can shoot from three, and he actually has the most three-point field goals attempted and uh, is shooting... 35, close to 35, 34.8% from beyond the arc. So yeah. that's not a bad three option when you look at it. Yes, he only scores um, uh, about eight points per game. But, I mean, that's not a bad third option at all if you have another three-point scorer 
on the team to complement the 1A and 1B, it definitely can kind of round out that starting five. I think this is the first team where we can actually go in depth defensively, and I think the big thing is Jarrell Brantley. Because he is a pure mismatch for anybody to guard. The only other body that can probably guard him confidently is Devontae Kaycock, but he doesn't play the five. Jarrell Brantley's rarely in the five position. He normally right, plays a stretch four. He pulled Darian Bryant for the most part when the, uh, Charleston came to Delaware. There was a few times when Ryan Allen and Ithiel Horton were on him, and that was just a pure nightmare. It's hard then defensively for teams because he's beating every four that he has to guard. He is so much bigger and fast for his size that that is a nightmare matchup for any team. Especially Delaware. Yeah. I mean, Delaware has one true big man. Colin Goss is the tallest guy on the team, but he does not defend like a center does. No. So you're and you're also not going to play him next to Eric Carter most of the time. Right. So if Eric Carter is guarding their center, Nick Harris, who is six foot ten, six foot eleven, you're now asking, like you said, Darian Bryant or off the bench Matt Veretto and Jacob Veretto is probably are your other your best option. Floor. And I don't feel horrible about that. Yeah. Like you're giving freshman skinny Matt Veretto the arguably the best post scorer in the league <laughs> yeah. to handle one on one. And they're good enough defensively on the other side that they don't have a fear of Matt Verretto or Jacob Cushing stretching them out, right? Jarrell Brantley is versatile enough that if he has to defend out in the corner on the other side, they can stay big. They don't have to go small. So they're going to stay big, and Delaware, to try to match that, really can't because they just yeah. simply don't have that second big man option. They don't have an option to play a lineup where there's two guys who are six foot nine. I mean, probably the best way to go at it is kind of like a zone or double team him yeah, any time yeah. he gets into the post. But then yeah, probably a lot of zone. It's gonna get kicked back out to probably Grant Riller, and then he's just gonna nail threes. So it's like pick your poison kind of thing. As you said, Mavaretto doesn't have a huge body. He's tall, but he's kind of lanky. Mm-hmm. And for to ask him to take on that task is gonna be tough, especially if Eric Carter's focusing on their center and on the other end. Jarrell Brantley has 27 blocks on the year. So yeah, he's a monster. <laughs> you, you're not going to be able to take it inside, especially with Nick Harris also having 19 blocks on the year. So those two trees down low, you're not going to be able to drive inside. Good luck for settling from beyond the arc and hoping that you can make threes. Brandon, I'll give you this one. I'm just tuning in to CAA basketball, and I see Charleston. Who's the player to watch from this Charleston team? I'm interested in Grant Riller the most. We talked about him a lot two years ago when he was probably the second-best rookie in the CAA behind Ryan Daly. He's only gotten better since then. I would say last year he passed Ryan Daly. This year he's a top-five player in this league. Uh, 53.9% from the field this year, a solid three-point shooter as well. But he really does create off the dribble, which is fun to watch. So I would go with Grant Riller, kind of an obvious pick. Uh, But we didn't get to touch on him as much. He is dangerous. He's the most dangerous part of this team. I'm looking in the Google Doc here, and we put 20 minutes for this section, and I kind of <laughs> commented, and I was like, if we're going deep, we're probably going to need more than 20 minutes. We have been on pace. We've hit everything we wanted to talk about. It's been a great first half, and we've only gone through three out of the 10 teams. They're the most the interesting three. Yeah. They are the most interesting, and we, as we get lower and lower, the conversation will get shorter and shorter. <laughs> but let's get to perhaps the biggest team in the CAA that we need to talk about, and that's William and Mary. This is not the same William and Mary team as last year. They are not as quick. They're not as spread the floor ish. They have good players. 
Matt Millen's up there. Knight's obviously up there. He leads the entire CIA in field goal percentage with 58.7%. Brandon, you know this team. You've called most of their games. You've probably been around this team more than either of us have. Break down this offensive set for William & Mary. It goes around Nathan Knight more this year than in previous years. Last year, this team was going to shoot more threes than you. They shot more threes than everybody, but Elon, between Connor Birchfield, Matt Millen, uh, the point guard David Cohn last year, they're a little bit thinner than they were last year this year, but it's a hot team. Nathan Knight, 26.2 points per game in their last five games. They've won all five of those games. So you have to start with trying to slow him down. I think Delaware has a good option to do that. This isn't a team like Charleston where I'm worried too much about the four. Justin Pierce is a solid stretch four, but as far as backing down, Delaware's four is not as worried about that. It comes to me in the form of Nathan Knight versus Eric Carter as far as what decides this game first and foremost. Now, if Ryan Allen and Kevin Anderson kind of put up zeros like they did last Saturday... They don't have a chance. Those guys still have to keep pace with what William & Mary is doing. But when Delaware beat William & Mary 58-56 to in a defensive game at the Bob early in CAA play, Nathan Knight was held to 12 points. Eric Carter did a number on him. He didn't have to be the top scorer because they did get backcourt production between Horton, Allen, and Anderson. He needs to focus defensively on Knight. When Carter was out of the lineup when they played William & Mary down in Virginia, Knight was extremely efficient, 18 points tied for the team lead, and William & Mary took care of Delaware easily. So to me, it starts with Nathan Knight and that matchup between him and Carter. Can Carter slow him down enough? Of course, Delaware's backcourt has to show up too, but I start with Knight versus Carter. Defensively, they have an above-average individual play. Nathan Knight leading the entire CIA in blocks shots per game by a nice margin. I mean, you still have Chase Audage. He's second, a third in the CAA in steals per game. Could be the rookie of the year. Yeah, rebound-wise, Justin Pierce is still there. He's third with nine rebounds per game. Nathan Knight's right behind him with 8.4. But as a team, they haven't really found their defensive footing. I mean, they're on the bottom half in the CAA overall in team defense. Is there a reason why they're there? Is there anything we need to talk about specifically about this William & Mary defense? I don't think they have great perimeter defenders. I think those guys can be had off the dribble and with a lot of dribble handoff action if they're playing man in zone. you got to move the ball and find open shooters around the outside. But I think the perimeter defenders can be had inside. They do have size between Knight and Pierce. But I don't think those guys on the outside are very strong. William & Mary, eighth in the CAA in overall defense, sixth in the CAA in offense defensive margin. Doug, I feel like this one's pretty obvious, probably the second most obvious to UNCW. If I'm tuning in to watch William & Mary play, who's the player to watch? Uh, probably Nathan Knight. As I, I would have to agree. <laughs> but I just think because it's... if uh, William and & Mary and Delaware match up, then you have that nice Eric Carter, Nathan Knight matchup to see who wins that battle, and probably who wins that battle will take will take home the victory, as long as the supporting cast for either team shows up, as Brandon said. We're going to skip over number five in the CAA because we will get to them later. <coughs> Spoiler alert, it's Delaware. And then we head to Drexel, probably the most puzzling team in the CAA because they're not good, but they're not bad. <laughs> they're second in the CAA in offense per game, one-tenth of a point. 
above UNCW, three-tenths of a point ahead of Northeastern and William and Mary. Defensively, they're second to last. I don't even know where to go. This Drexel team is a good shooting team. They're not great. Why do we find them not last in the CAA, and why do we find them at six? For some reason, this team gives Delaware problems. You think back to last year, biggest collapse in whatever it was. history. And see, like, just a completely horrible game. This year, pretty big first-half lead at the Bob. Comes down to a one-point game. Delaware holds on. Then they go lose in Philadelphia by eight. <clears throat> Not sure exactly what it is, but they don't match up well against the Dragons. Troy Harper is their lead scorer with 15.8 points per game. Not much else going for Drexel. Drexel out of the top 10 in scoring. Other names to look out for. Trevor John is a good player. Uh, even Cameron Winter is strong, but they don't have Tremaine Isabel. They don't have that guy. Isabel graduated last year, and he kind of took them on that fairy tale run that was a second-round exit, but a successful tournament for Drexel. Doug, if I'm a team looking at Drexel, how would I necessarily attack them? How do I beat Drexel? Because they seem to win, and especially from Delaware. I mean, I would try and force them outside. It's easier said than done, but Trevor John is really their only legitimate three-point threat that I'm looking at right now. So if you can force them to take threes and better yet contested threes and prevent them from working inside, especially against Delaware, where Delaware doesn't really have amazing size. As we talked about, they have Eric Carter, but besides that, some of their bigs, if you want to call them quote-unquote bigs, are more stretch, stretch fours rather than traditional big men. So that's basically the rundown on Drexel. There's frankly not much more to go into. If I had to give a player to watch, it would be Troy Harper. I would also throw in Cameron Winter, too, yeah. because he's a freshman. And I'm interested to see what comes of the CAA Rookie of the Year balloting. We'll know that tomorrow, um, whether it's Chase Outage, whether it's Cameron Winter, maybe even Horton still. But Winter is kind of a late riser. He's won a lot of Rookie of the, Year, uh, of the Week awards excuse me, during CAA play, at least. Next team up on our list is Elon, the team Delaware beat last year in the CAA tournament. And speaking of two-man shows, Tyler Seabrig and Steven Santa Ana are Elon. Santa Ana, 15.7 points per game. Tyler Seabrig, who hit a crazy shot to beat Delaware in their second matchup of the year, leads the team with 16.5. Offensively, they're clear-cut. Those are the two guys. You really don't have to worry about anybody else. Defensively, it interests me because Steven Santa Ana has the Ryan Daly body where he can guard uh, a 5'10 point guard, but he can easily guard a 6'5", 6'6", wing player. So I think they're a very flexible defensive team. If anything, what sticks out about this Elon team that we need to kind of touch on? I think you got to just note that they're going to shoot threes. They've shot almost... 150 more threes than anybody else this season. They live and die by it. Um, so it could be an explosive team. Maybe they get an upset win over somebody. But overall, it's not a team that I'm terribly afraid of coming into this tournament. Yeah, and more times than not, at least by what they've been doing this season, they've been dying by the three rather than yeah. living by it. They're 7-11 um, on the year. Usually Sebring has to match up with 
um, a big, which he's not he's not a traditional big, even though he is taller, but he's more of a stretch big. And you see him when he's at least warming up. He's shooting a lot of threes. He's staying outside. And that's where he can explode on offense is more so from the outside than the inside. And on the defensive end, it, he can struggle against guarding more of the traditional big um, kind of bodies. So that could be one way to kind of, I guess, expo- expose their weakness. I'll run through JMU here. I w- those are the two players to watch. There's no one else you probably need to watch for Elon. <laughs> I'll take a quick run through on JMU. Stucky Mosley and Matt Lewis. Matt Lewis, the runner-up, or a lot of people thought he should probably be Rookie of the Year. I don't know if I fully agree with that, but as I was talking when JMU came to play Delaware, I was talking to the JMU radio guys, and they were like, oh, I mean, jokingly, it's like, oh, that that's your Rookie of the Year? And he was, they were talking about Ryan Allen at the time, and I was like, yeah, he didn't have a great game. Matt Lewis did have a good game at, at uh, when they came to the Bob Carpenter Center. But Lewis is explosive. He's a great player, 15 of them, 16 points per game. He is leads almost the entire CIA in minutes per game. He's second to Justin Wright Foreman. Him and Stucky Mosley are two and three, respectively. They're a two-man show. They can stretch the floor, and they also have a lot of firepower. Once they catch fire, they're hard to slow down. That's what caused that comeback, or almost comeback, up against Delaware at the Bob Carpenter Center. Any quick notes on JMU? We'll keep going. Keep it moving. Towson. Up next on the list, the thorn in Delaware side in every aspect of the word. They're just, they just beat us. They're, no matter where they are, who's on the court, Towson beats us. Brian Fobbs is their leader in minutes. And I'll let one of you break down Towson because I've called every Towson game pretty much since two years ago. <laughs> and every time I left with my head hanging because I asked myself, how does Delaware lose these games? Towson is not good. They elevate themselves when they play the Blue Hens. Yeah, Brian Fobbs had 29 against Delaware in their most recent matchup. Only reason why Delaware basically held on and won that game by seven was that Ryan Allen had a career day. He had 30. And sometimes that's what it takes for these guys to come over Towson, who has been a tough team for them. Um, It's always kind of been like a big kind of physical team. You think back to like John Davis, Mike Morcell, like... Even if those guys are playing the two or the and three. And Alex Thomas, they just too, seem big. big dude. They seem big. They always seem to be more physical than Delaware. And Delaware never seems to be comfortable playing against them. I think Delaware thrives when they can get in space and in transition because they have shooters. They have a lot of athletic guards. That's not necessarily been the way they've played this year. But I think when we've seen some of them at their brightest moments, they are getting out and running. And I think Towson really slows that down. I think they're really physical with them. And the Blue Hens really fail to react or counter that in many cases when they've played the last couple of seasons. The only CAA team to have one player in the top 25 of scoring is Towson. Towson has Brian Fobbs at 8 with 17.5 points per game. No one else in the top 25. Defensively, they're physical. Mm. They are one of the hardest teams to score on. They are great running around picks. They can guard picks well, even to the Mike Morcell days and I just hope, obviously we won't see Towson, but even if Towson's winning and Delaware is winning, they're the one team, if I can (laughs) rearrange the bracket, I'm putting Delaware on the farthest possible point. Give me Hofstra before you give me Towson. (laughs) At least there won't be a heartbreak 
when we play against Towson. And that, I mean, it is a possibility that Towson comes up in game two. Towson yep. will play JMU. If they beat JMU, they play Hofstra. You know, crazy odds. Everybody's going to pick Hofstra in that game. But it's winnable. But if they Didn't beat... They, they, take them, they took them to double overtime, right? Yep. So if they beat Hofstra on Mon, excuse me, Sunday, then Delaware, if they beat William & Mary, would play Towson in that second game on Monday night. One thing is, though, if James Madison wins, last time they actually beat Hofstra yeah. in their last game. So, right. I mean, either team might be able to upset Hofstra in uh, the second round, but it would be the first game that Hofstra plays because they have the first round bye. Let's talk now about the last team, the UNCW Devontae Kaycox. That's about it. There's my summary of UNCW. Ty Gadsden's a good complimentary shooter. Kaycock is their big dude, 15 points per game. Not a big worry. They're good. They'll play you hard for 40 minutes. Any flags for the UNCW? I mean, Kaycock's a good player. He's going to get a lot of hype because of what he's done the last couple of seasons. But I think at his top level, he's still a second or third option. I don't think he's a guy that you can win with as your top guy. There is your summary of nine out of the ten CAA teams. We're going to take a 30-second break, get some water, rest our lungs, before we delve into Delaware and their CAA tournament journey. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage Podcast. Brandon Hovac here, sickness and all. Just wanted to remind you that this weekend we have coverage of the CAA Men's Basketball Tournament from Charleston, South Carolina. Beginning Sunday afternoon, the Blue Hens taking on the William & Mary Tribe, as discussed on the show. Tip-off is set for 2.30 p.m. We'll go on the air on 91.3 WVUD at 2.15 p.m. Nick DeLaglio and I have the call as Delaware tries to win its first CAA championship since 2014, beginning with Sunday's afternoon matchup against William & Mary. Now back to the final moments of Blue Hen Sports Cage. The moment you have been waiting for or dreading, depending on how you feel about this Delaware men's basketball team, has arrived as us on the cage break down the CAA tournament and specifically (coughs) Delaware's journey. Delaware got here after a successful start of the season. We were talking about, can they be a one? Can they be a two? Okay, they'll just be a three. Now they're a five. Oh, that's not bad (coughs) per se. But this was a team that we thought can do so much more. So let's break down the CAA tournament breakdown for the Blue Hens, and we'll start with the offense. Let's go to some key players. The first, Brandon, Ryan Allen. Yeah, I found this really interesting. He did not start on Saturday. I caught a coach's decision. He came into the game, but I think it was the second or third guy off the bench, Kevin Anderson being the first for Martin Inglesby. He didn't score until under five minutes to go in the second half. Scored two baskets in that 92-70 to loss against Hofstra. That can't fly. I mean, simply put, he at 16 points a game this season since coming back from that foot injury in December, he has been as integral to this offense as anybody. The 30-point game against Towson rings a bell, especially as Eric Carter has suffered through injury. His importance can't be overstated, especially heading into the tournament. And if Whatever's going on between he and the team, if if there's any more reason to put him on the bench than just a coach's decision, which I believe is probably the case because I don't understand why what the reasoning would be would be to put him on the bench basketball wise. Whatever that is, it has to be put aside for this weekend if Delaware's got a chance of winning a game, let alone <laughs> two or three. I talked to Parker on the first half of the show and he brought up health. 
And I said, that's not outrageous to think about, but there is no designation. There is no reason for Ryan Allen right. besides maybe just a rest day. Let's look at another offensive player, and that's Ethel Horton, who kind of turned it on as of late. He's a streaky player. He has his highs that are very high. He has his lows that are very low, mm-hmm. but he's on the up right now. He's playing better. He's lead. He led the team in scoring this last weekend, shot well from three. Doug, what is Ithiel Horton's role in the CAA playoffs? He's not the star. We have Eric mm-hmm. Carter for that. Yeah. What's his role? I think he is the floor general, to be honest. I mean, he runs point most of the games. And um, as you said, his lows can be where he gets no points in a game. And there's been a couple times where he hasn't even scored the ball at all. But, I mean, to run the offense kind of – um, and just create space. He's the one basically calling the plays, as I said, floor general. But maybe as someone who is kind of just dishing out the assists rather than being the go-to guy for scoring, as you said, Eric Carter is the go-to guy down low in the post. Also, they need to have Ryan Allen have a big game as well. They can't um, not play him. He needs to get his minutes because sometimes he's a little bit streaky from shooting Ryan Allen, but when he's on – he turns it on like crazy. There's been games where he goes 0 for 3 or 0 for 4 in the first half, and then he'll come right back and hit three or four three-pointers in a row, and he'll just be on. So he needs to get in, involved and just have Ithiel Horton basically give him the ball. Ithiel Horton, though, as we've said, he's had his highs. He can score double digits. It's not impossible. He started for this team way back in their first game at Maryland, who's going to be, I believe, a fourth seed in the uh, NCAA tournament. They're going to be pre- ranked pretty high. And Delaware, just going back on in terms of, like, Delaware, all, like, the whole season outlook, it looks good, even though they lost that game by six. They were a national team playing on the road um, at Maryland. So it just it kind of got disappointing throughout the season. And it's like, where's this team going? Before we get philosophical on the Blue Hens and look at them big picture-wise, I ask both of you, the five starters on Delaware ranked by total games started, Darian Bryant, Eric Carter, Kevin Anderson, Ithiel Horton, Ryan Allen. Out of those five players, rank them in order of importance for the CAA tournament. Who is the most important? This is regardless of matchup. Regardless of day, regardless if it's raining or shine, who are the, in that order, five most important Delaware starters? I'm going to start with Eric Carter. Um, I think that you could make an argument that some of those guys on the perimeter are a little bit interchangeable. That you maybe only need two of the four, let's say, to have a big game. There's nobody who can replace what Eric Carter Mm -hmm. does. When he's on, when he scored 20-plus against Maryland and 33 against St. Francis, this team was different. And he hasn't had that type of game recently. I think a lot of it has to do with the injury. He's also important defensively, though. And it's just the first matchup, but I think when you look at William & Mary, like we were saying before, Knight versus Carter is as big a matchup as any in that game. And I think it'll be important if they make it to play Hofstra, too, that he can take advantage of what's maybe a weakness in the Pride's defense. Second to me is Ryan Allen. He has been the best scorer from the perimeter on this team throughout the season. He's the best shooter on this team throughout this season. He can't have an offer. He can't have one of those one-for-nine three-point shooting performances or whatever it was last year in the tournament where he completely went ice cold. They're not going to win with a performance like that. Number three for me is Horton because he can get hot. I mean, if, if he gets hot, he is a guy who could carry them to a win. 
Then after that, I probably go. Was it Anderson and Bryant? The We're last the two? remaining two. I'd probably go Anderson then Bryant. I think Bryant has maybe the highest floor as far as what to expect. He's going to have a solid performance, but I also think his ceiling is pretty low. I don't think he's going to be the guy who carries you to a win. He's not going to score more than 12 or 13 points in any of these games, whereas Anderson, Horton, those guys have the potential to go off, as you might say. So I go Carter, Allen, Horton, Anderson, Bryant. Doug, do you have anything different from that five? I guess maybe Bryant above Anderson just because of his defense. Even though he has not really a high uh, of a high ceiling on offense, he can play pesky defense, and he can match up with pretty much everyone besides like um, a traditional big. He can match up with the stretch fours. So because of his defense, I think he's important to have on the floor almost at all times. The one change I will make, and it's kind of surprising on how I've talked about it, I'm putting Darian Bryant as the second most important Delaware player. because Behind Carter? Behind Carter. Because when you know when the going gets tough, you need to look at one player and say, okay, we are still in this. It ain't that bad. And that's Darian Bryant. Because if the going gets tough, Eric Carter's not playing well. Ryan Allen's not shooting well. Neither is Ethel Horton. And we mentioned the high floor Bryant has. That's going to be the rock for the Blue Hens. That when it gets tough midway through the first, it's going to be Darian Bryant just consistently playing at this, whether you want to call it a mediocre level, he is going to give that that to you consistently. And he is going to be that rock that when Coach Anglesby looks at the team, he's going to run a high screen with Darian Bryant. He's going to put Darian Bryant on the hot scorer. And we're okay with that. Blue Hen fans are okay if Darian Bryant is going to be our cornerstone or our rock when the going gets tough. I think if all things are going well, I probably look towards Doug's list a little more because I think we can do with a Kevin Anderson bad game. I don't think we could do with a Darian Bryant bad game. But I think we can agree on two things. One, it's Eric Carter or we're going home. And two, if it's not Eric Carter, Ryan Allen better have 10 threes. (laughs) Because... That's the only thing that could make up for an Ofer Carter performance is if he somehow catches fire and is hitting every shot. All right, let's get philosophical with the Blue Hen team. When are we going to finally say, I'm confident in the Blue Hens? I still think that out of every team in the CAA, the Blue Hens are the biggest danger if they're on. If all the dice are going the way that they want, the Blue Hens are the most dangerous team in the CAA. Mm. But I also think the odds of that happening right. are the lowest I mean, for Delaware. If, if we're going perfect scenario for every team, Wright Foreman scored 48 points in a game. Yeah, basically. you're going to get Justin Wright Foreman with 50. I'm taking Hofstra, but I see where you're... Like, they have, theoretically, all of these guys who are freshmen and sophomores who should all be able to shoot 40% from three have three or four assists a game, and average 15 points. Like, they should be one of these deep teams that we say, okay, they have Carter, but look at all these other guys that they have around him. And it looked like that for a lot of this Mm -hmm. season. And then they lost six of the final eight games. And we're sitting here probably feeling maybe a little bit better than we did about this team last year, but probably not that much better. I mean, Carter is better than he was. Allen's about the same. No Ryan Daly. So maybe the combination of Anderson and Horton makes up for that in some respects. So we're, we're feeling okay about this team, but that's the question, right, is when is it going to be we're heading into this tournament thinking 
how does Delaware win it versus maybe how does Delaware stay alive this weekend? Let's break down their potential path. And, Doug, I'll start with you. William and Mary first, uh, a JMU or a Hofstra second, assuming that it's JMU. Or Towson. Or Towson. What is, I guess, the best case scenario? If you had to push the Blue Hens to the CAA tournament, what teams are they beating? Obviously, William and Mary, but after that. Probably probably going to have to beat Hofstra, and then I would say... Uh, Northeastern as well. So you would say that. if if Delaware makes the championship, those are the teams that they're going to get. Them. That's going to be the teams. Are they going to beat them? I don't know about that, especially Hofstra. I feel like if they beat Hofstra, that will be their game. That will be like their championship. So right. after that, they might be spent if they're able to pull something off against Hofstra. Or if they have to play JMU in that game, they'll probably be able to handle it. But you never really know. I mean, they're probably expecting well, right now, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not one of the players, so I can't tell what's going through their minds. But they're probably just focused on William and Mary taking care of business there, and then worrying about what they have to worry about afterwards. Um, but that's my potential path. I don't see a gang too different. Maybe Hofstra gets upset, but it seems unlikely just because of how high of a scoring team they are. A team's either going to have to shut them down completely, or they're going to have to get a, in a shootout and catch fire. Yeah, I'm not planning on being there Tuesday night. Yeah, that's, um, that's tough. I don't. I mean, they're. I think Hofstra will win against the eighth or ninth seed, and they're. I mean, they're. I'm hard pressed to find the situation where they beat Hofstra. Hofstra came into the Bob last Saturday already having the number one seed, and they beat Delaware by 22 points. <laughs> yeah, and Delaware was playing in theory to stay out of the sixth. Seed. There was a scenario where they were going to fall to sixth. And they would have to play Charleston in the first round. And we just talked a lot about how Charleston is one of those top three teams that's a step above William & Mary in Delaware. William & Mary is definitely the first-round opponent they wanted over uh, Charleston or Hofstra or Northeastern with how all that was going to shake out. So to me, Sunday's game is a coin flip type of game. I think William & Mary should be the favorites in that game. But there is a realistic scenario of Delaware pulling that game out. If they limit Nathan Knight... If it's a defensive game like it was when they beat William & Mary at the Bob earlier this season, that's a realistic scenario. But then they get to Monday night, assuming it's Hofstra, which I believe it will be. I'm hard-pressed to, to figure out the way that they slow down Justin Wright-Foreman and win that game. Coming to Monday, out of the three teams I'd want to see, it's going to be Hofstra. I want to see Hofstra, then I want to see JMU, then I want to see Towson. I'd rather be quick and painless with Hofstra than for it to be slow you're not, and painful. Then you're not kidding yourself. Yeah. Don't don't give yeah. me Towson. Let Delaware play their heart out for the first half and then have uh, another collapse where Ryan Allen misses a free throw at the line, two free throws at the line, yep. to not only miss overtime but miss a victory. Make it quick and painless. Let Justin Ray Foreman drop 35 on us. Let us not get within <laughs> 10 points until Hofstra's at a 10 nothing lead. And honestly, I want to see Justin Wright Foreman in the tournament yeah. in March. There there are very few players, I think, in N- the NCAA as a whole that have the ability to do the things Justin Wright Foreman does. I agree. I mean, he's he's last year's Trey Young. He's a few years ago's Jimmer <coughs> Ferdet, where anywhere on the court within 45 feet, you need a body on him. 
because he is going to pull up from anywhere on the court and hit it. The final question before we get to the tournament predictions at the end. Well, actually, we are at the end. Uh, yeah, so much for resting Brandon's longness. We gave him a 20-minute time slot, and we're almost here up I to am, an hour here. Um, what needs to happen in this tournament for this not only to be considered a successful season, but just a successful tournament for the Blue Hens? You want this one first, Doug? I'll take this one. Um, I mean, at least getting one win. If if they go down there and lose to William, William and Mary in the first uh, game, then I consider that unsuccessful. I mean, it's it's kind of unrealistic to expect them to beat Hofstra, but if they get Towson or JMU, then they, in order for it to be successful, at least make it past them and then see what happens after that. You would like to say that they can make a run at the chip and make it into the tournament, but I just don't see it, especially when they come in limping like this, losing six of their last eight. Yep. It would be a different story if we talked about how they kind of got off to a rough start this year, and then now they're catching fire. Kind of like they the women. won six of their last yeah, eight games. Yeah, it's kind of like the opposite to Delaware women's basketball, where they, they won nine of their last yeah, 11 contests. And they, they start off kind of rocky. They're on fire now going into their tournament. They have a better outlook than I would say this men's team does just because of the recent trends. It's really tough to turn it on late in the season and then expect a team. So I would say at least making it to Monday night, um, it, I would consider it a huge success if they can beat Hofstra. That would be their championship game. And Brandon, we, when Doug mentioned that women's team, you and I kind of just had a laugh <laughs> with each other. Two-ish months ago, eh, probably a little less, we were in obviously switched positions, and we were talking about if this team wins five games. We were like, six games, seven games. What's realistic? Oh, it looks horrible. And then we were like, and I think it was you who said it. You were like, watch them. Watch us look ridiculous later in the year. And here we are, both of us. I mean, we were right at the time. We they, were right at the they time. They opened CAA play with three straight games scoring less than 50 points. Right. We were right at the time. Like that was as atrocious as we said it was. And now they have won nine of the last 11 contests. If they win both of these games this weekend, and I think we need two losses from Towson, they could be the three seed in the CAA women's tournament. They're at least going to be in that 4-5 game. What a, what a tale of two teams, tale of two halves. Brandon, your successful Blue Hen year is... They have to win the William & Mary game for you to even start the argument that this has been a successful season. The quarterfinal round is where Delaware has made it each of the past two seasons. They've played in that first-round game, they beat that team, and then they have to play one of the best teams in the CAA, and they lose. So last year it was Elon, then Northeastern. The year before that it was Hofstra, and then UNCW. UNCW went on to win the championship. Northeastern went on to lose the championship to, to Charleston. So they have to take a step forward to consider this an improvement at all. But beyond that, it's it's disappointing considering how this team looked at the beginning of the season. The beginning of the season was great. The middle of CAA play, they still looked like a really good team that had problems holding on to leads in the second half. And then we get to this last portion of the season where they look like a completely different team that looks lost. They do now have all the pieces back in place. The game against Hofstra that they lost by 22 was the first time in four games that they had, everybody together. So that is kind of the silver lining in this and provides you with somewhat of an excuse for what happened in the last couple of weeks of the season. So I start the case with William & Mary. But for it to truly feel like a success, they had to pull off that upset win on Monday. And if they played in a CAA championship and lost, that is a huge turn for this program. That would really signal 
that Delaware basketball on the men's side is back. Delaware women's basketball has been here, but the men's side, it's been an ugly couple of years since that trip to Michigan. It's a team that will continue to get better, and we'll talk about that throughout next week and in the coming weeks after this season concludes. They do lose a few seniors, but they have some good talent coming back in. So if they can win two, and they lose in the championship to Charleston or Northeastern, that is a huge success. If they win one, I'm left with mixed feelings after this weekend. They need to beat William & Mary in my mind. The second thing is who they're playing in their second game. If it's JMU and Towson, they yeah, are required game. to win that game. Yeah. I would be I would rather lose to William and Mary than beat William and Mary and lose to JMU and Towson. I would be so I agree. broken, I guess for lack of a better word, because we are so much better than both of those teams. If that happens, well, the whole world's spinning off its axis because that just means JMU or Towson beat yeah. Hofstra. <laughs> and with that being there, I'm a millionaire and I'm moving to California and you'll never hear from me ever again. They beat William and Mary. I'll take a loss against Hofstra with a plus or minus 15. Okay. I'll say 15 points. That'd be the closest they play Hofstra this season. Give me a 15-pointer, <laughs> whether it's 100 to 85 or 15 to nothing, as long as it's 15 points. 15 to nothing. I'm happy. That's a good game for me. A little bit uh, off to the side, we both talked about the women's basketball team, and I just want to speak this into existence now. I talked to Parker on the walk over here about it. We need to start booking the NCAA women's basketball tournament because Delaware will be in it next year. Delaware wins next the CAA year. next year. Okay. Pretty I much about to say, this wholeheartedly. Year, I don't know. JMU is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Next year... Mia Smalls had something to say about that. Next year, Delaware women's basketball team, NCAA champions. We have almost... NCAA every, champions. CAA. Not what I said. Okay. Well, that is, that is what I said. That's I gotta not catch what I meant. You. I gotta catch you. CAA champions. NCAA that threat. that on repeat for you. NCAA threat. CAA champions. <laughs> because we don't lose really anybody. I mean, McKenna yeah. Nicholas is a blow. But that's fine. Allison Lewis is Allison fine. Lewis. And Nicole Nabosi comes back. Plus yeah, Lolo Davenport. Huge. Plus Lolo people. Davenport. We're really excited about coming into this season. I'm with you. I, I don't, I'm not going to say they win the CAA because I would need to do more looking into Drexel and JMU, who are both really good teams this season. Yeah. But Delaware is in that conversation. Nicole Anabosi puts them back in that conversation. Definitely. So good. That, that was a good 605 to 625 block team. I mean, <laughs> we really talked well from 627 to 638 on the Western Conference playoffs. And it's then, a uh, minute's restriction the NFL draft. until the game is close. Yeah, once, and, once we start rolling. to pull out the win. <laughs> it's the same thing when you put like a, uh, a bench player. We saw it last year late in the season against JMU where they put in Jacob Cushing just for garbage time. And then he started hitting threes. So once the, once the ball gets rolling, you don't stop the hot hand. And we had a hot hand in here. This is a good second hour of the show. We really told you everything you need to know about CAA men's basketball. Brandon, you will be going down there tomorrow or Sunday? Sa- Saturday morning. Saturday morning. So you're headed down Charleston. Saturday morning with uh, Nick Delaglio. I'll be producing those games. And then we prep for the women's games. Any last words before we wrap it up? Talk to you from sunny South Carolina.